Welcome. This year on Parsha Shamos will be audio only due to some technical difficulties. Let's begin with reading some psukim about Moshe Rabbeinu as a very young man, exactly what age, I'm not sure, might be bar mitzvah age, there, there might even be a source to indicate that, but he has uh, he has been adopted by Bas Parai, he has uh, grown up to some extent, and we're going to see some of the first few events that are recorded about him. This is in Perak Base, Pasik Yud Aleph, Vayihi Vayamim Hohein, and it was in those days, Vayigdal Moshe, and Moshe grew up, he became Gadol, which sounds like perhaps that he reached uh, age of maturity, such as Bar Mitzvah, but Yetzei Elechov, and he went out to his brothers. Was he had grown up, he was uh, still in the house of Parai, but he, he, knew, he knew who he was, he knew he was a, an Ivri, and he went out to see his brethren. Vayar Besivleisam, and he saw their suffering, or he saw their burdens, that they were slaves to Parai. Vayar ish Mitzri make ish ivri me'echov. And he saw an ish Mitzri, he saw an Egyptian man, make, who was hitting, he was beating up an ish ivri, a Hebrew man, me'echov, one of his brethren. Let's continue without Rashi. We will go back to the Rashis, and of course, we will focus on some of them. So he saw this Egyptian beating up this Jew. And he turned this way and that way. In simplicity, he looked around to make sure no one was looking. And he saw that there was no person in the vicinity. And Moshe struck the Mitzri. And it means he killed him. And then he buried him in the sand. He covered up his, his deed. And he went out on the second day, the next day. And behold, there were two Hebrew men, Nitzim, who were quarreling. And he said to the evil one, uh, does that mean one was evil and one wasn't evil? Or simply he's addressing one of the evil men? That's a good question. But he said to the evil one, Lama sake re'echa. Why would you strike your fellow? Why would you strike your friend? And this person replied, and he said, Who has placed you, Moshe, as a man who is a sarvashefet, who is an officer and a judge upon us? Who made you the judge? Are you saying to kill me? That probably the simplest meaning is, are you, do you speak to me because you wish to kill me? As you killed the Egyptian. So we see that this man knew what Moshe Rabbeinu had done, even though Moshe tried to cover it up, but this man obviously knew about it. So Moshe feared, and he said, no da hadavor, ochein. Therefore, uh, it is it is clear. It is it is known. No da hadavor. The the matter is known. Let's go back and see some of the Rashi's. Now, of course, 
it, it's almost uh, it is superfluous to, to, to repeat that the number one most important principle in understanding Rashi on the Torah is that everything Rashi says comes from the Pasuk, comes from the text. Although he quotes Midrashim and quotes Gemaras, but that's because he felt that that particular Midrash or that particular Gemara is telling us what the text is telling us. But simply to, to launch into stories and to add things to the text, that is not Rashi's style. But here we're going to see some, some Rashis that seem to go quite far beyond the Pshat. So let's go back to Pasuk Yud Aleph. This is the one that we're going to focus on. It was in those days. Moshe Moshe grew up. And he went out to his brethren. And he saw their suffering. And he saw an Egyptian man uh, hitting, striking, beating a Hebrew man from, one, among, from amongst his brothers. First, let's discuss what does it mean by Yigdal Moshe. Let's see what Rashi says about that, that Moshe grew. So Rashi asks a question. Didn't it already say in the very previous Pasuk that the boy grew up? So why is it repeating now by Yigdal Moshe that Moshe grew up? So Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Eli. Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rabbi Eli, Harishain Lakaima. The first time that it says by Yigdal Hayeled, that is Lakaima, that is for height. He reached a more or less adult height, or at least a, a certain level of height, which is uh, something bigger than a child. Vasheni Lugdula. But the second time that it says by Yigdal Moshe in this Pasuk, that means for Gedula, for greatness. Sheminahu Farei al that Paro appointed him to be in charge of his household. So, according to this, um, it's not something that's dependent on age or size, but at some point, for whatever reason, uh, Paro appointed Moshe to be in charge of things, at least within the household, and that's what this Pasuk is referring to. Okay, let's continue. By Yar Sum, he saw their suffering, Rashi says, Nosan bo. he put his eyes in his heart to feel pressured and to feel distressed for them. Probably what is bothering Rashi is that uh, he's not a fool. He has presumably seen what was going on with the Ivrim, with the Bnei Yisrael before this. It's not that he's been locked up in a closet his whole life. So what does it mean he saw their suffering? But at this point, he really started to pay attention to it and to, to feel their suffering. Let's continue. Ish Mitzri. Now the Pasuk says there was an Ish Mitzri and there was an Ish Ivri. The Pasuk itself does not identify them, but Rashi is going to identify them. Ish Mitzri, says Rashi, no gase hoyo. This Mitzri was a no gase. He was an overseer. Memuna al Shaitra Yisrael. He was someone who was appointed upon and above the Shaitrim, the, the police officers, the, the authorities of Yisrael. In other words, the Egyptians had a system uh, somewhat similar to what uh, thousands of years later the, uh, 
the Nazis, Yimach Shemom, had, that the people who were most directly involved in telling the Jews what to do were other Jews. They, they appointed Jewish officers to keep the people in line. And the Egyptians were super officers. Uh, they were, uh, they would um, order around the Jewish officers. And if the Jewish officers couldn't produce the results that the Egyptian officers uh, did, desired, then it was the Jewish officers who would, who would uh, bear the brunt. They would get beaten, as we see uh, later in, in, uh, in Chumash. So this Ish Mitzri was a Nogais. He was an Egyptian uh, slave master, slave driver, let's call him. And he would bring up the people from the calling of the rooster early in the morning, to their work. Every morning he would uh, wake up the Jews to get to work early, right at sunrise. And he was hitting an ish ivri. So Rashi says, He was whipping him and ruling over him. More than merely just a, a punch or a push, but he was um, consistently and continually malkehu whipping him and ruling over him. Now, we already have three questions here, which I will mention before we move on. First of all, how did Rashi know that this Ish Misri was a no Maybe he's just a, an Egyptian. How did Rashi know that he is a, an Egyptian overseer? That's number one. Number two, how does Rashi know specifically that this man, that part of his job, or his job, or at least part of his job, was to wake up the people at, at, at the first call of the rooster to go to work? Maybe he had some other task. How did Rashi know that was his job, and why is that relevant? And number three, the Pasuk says, Makei Shivri, he was beating, he was striking the Ishivri. How does Rashi know? Um, well, first of all, what does exactly Rashi mean? What is he changing? What is he interpreting about the Pasuk? Seems like he's saying that it was something more consistent, not just a one-time deal. But how does he know that? We will discuss all three of these questions soon. Let's finish the Rashi. Now, before Rashi uh, identified the Ishmitzri, at least Rashi identified his job, that he was an Ogais, now Rashi is going to identify who is this Ish Ivri, even though the Pasuk doesn't tell us anything about him. Says Rashi, she was the, the husband. This man was the husband of Shlemis Basdivri. Shlemis Basdivri is a woman, a Jewish woman, who is mentioned much later in Chumash, in Parshish Emor. We'll talk soon about what it says there. But this man was not just any Ivri, he was the husband of Shlemis Basdivri. Menosan Bo Enov, and this Egyptian put his eyes upon her, meaning he desired her for immoral purposes. At night, this Egyptian uh, stood up, this Jewish man, he woke him up at night, and he took him out of his house. He, he threw him out of his own house. 
Vehu Chazar, and then the Mitzri went back, Benichnas Lebayas, and he entered the house, Uvo al Ishto, and he had relations with this man's wife, with Shlemus Basdivri. Kisvura Shehu and She was thinking that he was actually her husband. She didn't realize. So she engaged in this immorality, but but without intent. It was a mistake on her part. Later, the man, the husband, came back to his house. He sensed what had happened. Rashi doesn't specify exactly how, but he, he understood what had happened. When this Egyptian saw that the husband sensed what had happened, so then he was striking him and ruling over him and beating him all day long. It's a very long uh, Midrashic Rashi. There's a lot added here. Um, one might say that, well, Vishlama, we can understand that Rashi says Ish Mitzri was beating up on a Jew. Probably wasn't just any Mitzri. It was probably one of the uh, one of the Naixim, one of the slave drivers. That's not too far fetched, and perhaps that's perhaps one could say that is a, a logical conclusion about the pasuk. But but here Rashi gives us in a whole story which is does not seem to be hinted at in the pasuk that, that that Rashi tells us exactly who this man was and exactly what happened and exactly why he was beaten up. It seems like. Uh, very much that Rashi here is abandoning his principle of only telling us what the Pusik says, of only interpreting the Pusik based on the evidence from the Pusik itself. So let's begin to try to answer these technical questions. The first question is, how did Rashi know that this person, this Mitzri, was a shaiter, uh, that, that he was uh, that he was uh, that he was a neiges. How does he know that? So Mizrahi says that we can figure this out from a pasuk later in Sefer Shemais. It says there that at a certain point in the in the history of the Jewish enslavement in Egypt, that hanoiksim otsim lemor. The Noixim, the Egyptian slave drivers, were pushing and they were saying, Kalu complete your work, hurry up, finish your work. And the Jews were not able to finish the work to the expectations of the Egyptians. The Egyptians had raised their daily quotient, their daily expectation of how much work they should do. And the, the, the Noixim were pushing, but the, the, the Jews could not, they couldn't, they couldn't meet the quota. And it says right after that, that the Shaitre B'nai Yisrael were beaten. So we see here that this was the this was the derech, that there were Noixim, this is how it was. There were Noixim, there were Egyptian uh, slave drivers, Egyptian supervisors, and there were Jewish Shaitrim, and if the Jewish shaitrim were not able to coax out of the Jewish people enough work, it was the Jewish shaitrim who would get beaten. So here it says an Egyptian was beating up on an ivory, so probably that's 
that's probably what happened. That's how the Mizrahi explains this. Of course, the, the, the question one can raise on this, on this explanation of the Mizrahi is that he is saying that Rashi is, in, is, is interpreting this Pusik based on what it says in a later Pusik, which is not usually what Rashi does. In other words, he, he seems to be indicating there's no evidence from this Pusik itself who this Ish Misri was or what kind of a position this Ish Ivri was. It's just that we find later that there were Egyptians who beat up Jews because they couldn't do enough work. And the Egyptians were Naixim and the Jews were Shaitrim. Um, but nothing in this Pusik itself. That is a uh, principle that I've stated many times, that Rashi does not jump to other psukim. He doesn't, if there's no question on the Pusik that he's looking at, he doesn't look to other psukim to add explanation, and he doesn't ask questions based on later, later psukim. It, the, the derech of Rashi is that there has to be, he always looked for evidence in the Pusik that he is talking about. So I'm not going to reject what the Mizrahi says. I'm not uh, worthy of that, but I'm going to look for something else. The something else I saw in Gur'aryeh. Gur'aryeh says that how did Rashi know that this Egyptian was a Noges and this Jew was a Shoiter? He knew it because the Pasek, the beginning of the Pasek says that Moshe Rabbeinu went out to his brethren by Yar Sum. He saw their suffering. And the next thing it says is an Egyptian was beating up an Ivri. There has to be some connection. If it's just they they were arguing about uh, sweeping up the sweeping up the sidewalk in front of their respective houses, that has nothing to do with Sivle Sum. If they were arguing over a loan that one made to the other, that has nothing to do with their general suffering as an enslaved nation. So since it says Vayar Sivle Sum, that Moshe Rabbeinu saw the burdens and the and the and the suffering that Kla Yisrael was enduring at the time, as was stated already in previous psukim. So therefore, that's how Rashi knew that Vayar Ish Misri, Make Ish Ivri, had something to do with that. That was also a matter of this Egyptian slave driver. He's pushing this Ish Ivri to, to do more work or to get others to do more work. Okay. We also asked... How did Rashi know that this Mitzri used to wake up the Jews at the call of the rooster to do their work? Where does Rashi get that from? Why is that relevant? I'm not sure. The only thing I can think of is that since Rashi is going to say that this Egyptian woke up this Jew and threw him out of his house, and then went back in to the to the to the Jew's wife to to commit immorality. So Rashi is explaining what is this fellow doing out so so late at night or in the very very early morning before the sun came up. So Rashi says this fellow's job was to wake people up to go to work. So therefore, he was up there. The rooster crows even before the the sun comes out. So uh, that's what this that's what this mystery was doing. That's why he was up so early in the morning, and in the Jewish neighborhood, perhaps. The third question is, how does Rashi know 
that Make Ishevri means that Malkehu Verideo, that he was consistently and constantly uh, whipping him and, and, and ruling over him and, and, and causing him to suffer. Maybe it was just a, a one-time thing. Maybe he just hit him once. No, the, 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 the Mizrahi says very simply, because the Pasuk says, Ma'ke, he was, he was hitting, not Hiko. Hiko means he hit him. Hiko could mean one punch. But Ma'ke indicates a more constant, repetitive act. The Gurarye says that if it was just a stam haka'o, if it was just a punch, just one slap or one punch, so then he says Moshe Rabbeinu would not have risked his life to, to revenge this man. Um, it, it wouldn't have been so terrible that Moshe Rabbeinu would have struck him dead. And the Gurarya continues, and here he answers our other question about why Rashi now launches into this long Midrashic interpretation. And the, 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 the Gurarya asks, the Gurarya asks, the Gurarya asks why? Why was this Egyptian, the Gurarya raises the question, he, he, he's paraphrasing Rashi, why was this the Egyptian Make with such achzorius? Why was he beating this Jew with such cruelty? Why so much? Okay, we understand that Moshe Rabbeinu only reacted because the Mitzri was beating up and beating up and constantly beating up on this Ivri. Why was the Egyptian doing it? So the, the Gaari explains that's why Rashi brings in that this Jew was Baalor Shoshlemus Pazdivri. And he says, you have to know that really there was no other woman, there was no other Jewish woman who ever was even accidentally committed an act of immorality with an Egyptian. So therefore, who could this possibly be? In other words, like this. The question is, why was the Egyptian so constantly and viciously beating up this this Ish Ivri? The answer must be that, that he had a very good reason. Uh, not a nice reason, but he had a strong reason. Because he had just committed adultery with this man's wife. And the man found, the, the husband found out. And so the Egyptian doesn't want to doesn't want to have to uh, doesn't want to first of all he doesn't want the doesn't want to be publicized, and he doesn't want this husband to to take revenge against him. And so therefore he beats the stuffing out of the husband. Now, there was no other woman during the entire time of our, of our, uh, of our slavery in Egypt who was ever caught, who was ever uh, subject, who ever allowed herself to, to, to become a, uh, to, to, to commit immorality with an Egyptian man, as we will soon see. So therefore, it must be, who's this person? This must be the husband of Shlemus Basdivri. How do we know that Shlemus Basdivri is the only Jewish woman who ever committed immorality with an Egyptian? Well, there's a story which is written in the end of Parshas Emor. 
just uh, very much uh, in short, it says as follows. It says, Vayetze ben Isha Yisraelis. There was a man who was the son of a Yisraelis. He was the son of a Jewish woman. Vuhu ben Ish Mitzri. But he was thus also the son of an Ish Mitzri. There was a child of a mixed marriage or a mixed relationship, a Jewish woman and an Egyptian man. And this person went out, he went out amongst the Bnei Yisrael, and they're, they're, they quarreled in the camp. Who quarreled? Ben HaYisraelis, this man, this aforementioned man, who was the son of a Jewish woman, the Ish HaYisraeli, and a regular Jewish man who had two Jewish parents. And this son of this Jewish woman, he uh, pronounced the name of the name. Here, Hashem is not Yudke Vavke, but we say Hashem. No, the Torah writes Hashem. This man pronounced the name of God, Vayikalel, and he cursed it. Of course, we're not saying now what the what these two people were quarreling about and why exactly this person uh, felt that he uh, why what what motivated him to curse God. We're just reading very superficially at the moment. But this Ben Ha'ishah Yisraelis, this man who had a Jewish mother but an Egyptian father, uh, he cursed God, Vayavio Oso El Moshe, and so they brought him to Moshe for judgment. Of course, he has committed a very terrible crime. The shame Imo, the name of his mother, Shlemis Basdivri Lamate Don. The name of his mother was Shlemis, the daughter of Divri, of Shevet Don, of the tribe of Don. Now Rashi there comments, Ben Ish Mitzri, he was the son of an Egyptian man, who Hamitzri Shaharagoy Moshe. Says here he was the son of an Ish Mitzri. Now those words should 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 rhyme, they should ring in our mind. Those words Ish Mitzri, we've seen already somewhere. We saw them in the Pasuk here in Shemos that we're learning. So Rashi says, yes, the same man. This is the Egyptian that Moshe killed. Vishem Imo, and the name of his mother, Shlemis Basdivri. Now it's interesting that here is this this uh, this this man who did something very, very bad, very wrong. And the Pusik is um, publicizing the name of his mother. Um, not every, generally speaking, uh, when we are introduced to a person in Chumash, it doesn't usually tell us who his mother is. As a matter of fact, usually we're told who the father is, not the mother. So Rashi explains, Shivchan shel Yisrael. This actually is the praise of Kla Yisrael. Shepirsama hakasuv lazo. That the Torah publicizes this woman, Loimar, to say, only she was a Zaina. Now, she's not literally a, she wasn't a prostitute, but only she committed immorality. That's why it's publicizing. This, this man, who was the son of a Jewish woman and a non-Jewish father, that's the only case of such a person being born in all the years that the Jews were in Mitzrayim. And of course, we know from Rashi in Shemais that even this, that she committed znus, that she committed immorality, it was not 
totally her fault. She did it unknowingly. She was tricked into it. Here Rashi is going to explain to us a little bit how it happened, why it happened to her, and why she is, to a certain extent, um, culpable. So Rashi explains her name, Shloimis Dahavas Patpata. She was a woman who was mifatfetet. She was always tweeting like a bird. Shalom Aloch, Shalom Aloch. She would see someone, she would see a man, she would say, Shalom Aleichem. She would see another man, she would say, Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem. Or she would see several men, she would say, Shalom Aleichem. She would say it in the plural. Mifatfetet bidvarim. She was tweeting and chirping, chattering in words. Shoelis bishleim hakol. Asking about the welfare of everybody. Now, you Asking about people's welfare is nice, but but there's there's also such a thing called sneus that a woman should not be walking up to every man walking down the street and saying, "How are you doing today?" Bas Divri, and she was the daughter of Divri, says Rashi Dabranis. I saw. She was a Dabranis. She was a very talkative person. Midaberisim kol adam, she would speak to every person. Lafichach, therefore, kilkala. Therefore, she ended up in a bad way. It's an interesting musr, by the way, that on a practical level, her very her overly talkative nature is not what apparently not what caused her downfall in a practical way. It doesn't say specifically that she was uh, that she had. Uh, uh, said hello in, in too friendly a way to the particular Egyptian who ended up sitting with her. It's just that there's a media connection media. You you she opened herself up too much. She was too too open with everybody, and therefore she ended up sinning. The question I would like to raise is, according to the way Gurari is explaining this pasuk and explaining these Rashi's. When the Pesach says there was an Ish Mitzri, Make Ish Ivri, that is really tantamount. That is really saying, not quite explicitly, but, but the meaning of those words is that there was an Egyptian um, overseer, an Egyptian slave driver, who was beating up on the husband of Shlemitz Basdivri, who was the only Jewish woman ever to commit immorality with an Egyptian man. Now, the fact that she was the only one, is that merely a tool that Rashi used in order to identify her and to explain why this Ish Misri was beating this Ish Ivri with such brutality? Or is it in some way an intrinsic part of this narrative? Uh, to give a, a parallel, uh, not very long ago, not so long ago in a Sheer on Parshas Shmini, I raised a very famous question. It's not my question. When the Torah says that an animal may only be eaten if it uh, has uh, split hooves and it chews its cud, so is that merely a simon? Are those merely simonim? In other words, why is an animal kosher or not kosher? Who knows? But in order to identify which ones are which, so we look for the split hoof and we look for the chewing of the cud. Or are those what are called sebais? Are those the reasons why an animal is kosher? Is there something good 
some something spiritually preferable about an animal that has split hooves and chews its cud? Does that somehow, in some real way, make it a better animal to eat? We can ask a similar question here. Is the fact that Shlemus Basdivri was the only woman who ever engaged in this kind of behavior, was that merely a, a tool that Rashi used to identify her? Or is that really, does that reflect somehow on this narrative? In my humble opinion, I would like to suggest that it is an intrinsic part of this narrative. It, it um, Knowing that fact, that she was the only one, uh, has a very important role in this, in this narrative right here. Because there is a Midrash in Parshish Emor, which tells us that the Shmira Meirayas, the uh, abstention from immoral behavior, was one of the keys to the redemption from Mitzrayim. The Midrash says, Yishvil Dalit Dvorim Nigalu Yisrael Me Mitzrayim. It was in the merit of four things that our forefathers were redeemed from Mitzrayim. Shaleshinu Eshmam, because they did not change their names, they retained their Hebrew names. Ve'es L'Shainam, and they did not change their language, their Hebrew language they maintained. They did not speak Lashon Hara, they did not speak badly about each other. And number four, there was no one amongst them who was who had breached the boundaries of morality, except Shlemis Basdivri, and even she, it was only accidentally. So this was one of the keys to Geula. Now, if we look at these psukim that we are studying here in Parsha Shemais, we are seeing here a, a descent into the depths and into the really uh, extreme darkness of Gullus, uh, particularly from the two psukim at the end of this little narrative, where Moshe Rabbeinu kills this Egyptian, and then he finds, and he tries to hide it, but then he finds out that it was known, and then he has to he has to run away from Israel. He has to run for his life. So we're coming here to a point in the story of Golis Mitzrayim, where here you have the Redeemer, you have Moshe. Here's the one who was going to redeem us, and he has to leave the scene. He's not even here. What effect could he possibly have? How could he possibly help us when he has to run away to, to the faraway land of Midian? We're coming here to a, to a very dark moment, but the seed of Geula is right there from the beginning because Shlemus Basdivri, the, the wife of this man who's being beaten up, is the only woman, the only one out of a whole big nation who is being enslaved by the Egyptians. She's the only one who committed immorality with an Egyptian, and that is the kernel of redemption. In other words, we have here a situation of Rafua Kaidim Lamaka, that the medicine was already put in place by HaKadosh Baruch Hu before before the wound was uh, was inflicted. I'd like also to discuss this Midrash a little bit. What is the connection between all of these four things? They seem to be kind of just a random 
collection of uh, good things that the Jews did. Let's take a look. It says, Vashinu es Shemom, they did not change their names. The es l'shaynama, they did not change their language. Now, those two are fairly easy to understand. The B'nai Yisrael, despite the fact that they were being enslaved, and despite the fact that we, we have many sources showing that they were not on a high spiritual level. And a matter of fact, they were getting lower and lower, almost to the point of no return in their spirituality. But they understood that in order to be redeemed, they had to maintain their identity. They had to remain the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, which in part means you have a Jewish name, you have a Hebrew name, and you speak in the Hebrew language. So that's why they were very particular about that. And then it says, they did not speak Lashon Hara. So here also, if you look in the Midrash, it's not so much that they were very uh, refined people and nobody ever made fun of his friend's crooked nose and things like that. That's not really the point here, although I'm not claiming that they did that. But the point here is that they were not Malshan. They did not tattle on each other to the Egyptian authorities. Meaning again, they understood we have to be one nation united. We have to be one united nation. These are two, these two things are really go together. We are a nation with an identity, and we are together as one. We don't, we don't uh, tattle on each other to the authorities. That, that, that we are we have a united front against the enemy. We're not out to destroy the enemy necessarily, but we know who we are and we are together. And I think this also explains why they were so careful about Arias, even though other sins like idolatry, they were not so careful about. Because refraining from Arias is part of the way of maintaining one's identity or the, maintaining one's children's identity as Jews. We know even today the halacha is that if a, if a Jewish woman has relations with a, if a Jewish man has relations with a non-Jewish woman, the child of that uh, relationship is not Jewish. Even if a Jewish, even if a non-Jewish man has relations with a Jewish woman, although the child is Jewish, but that's that's not called the beautiful, wonderful yichus. The child is a Jew, and the child can grow up to be a great person, but still. There's a little what's called a pagam. There's a little blemish on, on that person's identity as a Jew. And Ranban says that there are those who held that before Matan Torah, the halacha was that a non-Jewish man who had relations with a Jewish woman, the child was not a Jew at all. So therefore, being careful about Arias was essential to the, again, to this united Jewish identity that they were determined to preserve because they understood that's the key to Geula. No matter how far we fall, but if we are and we identify as the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and, as, and we are together in that, we can all be redeemed. And I think we see this we can use this to understand something that Rashi says, a Rashi that we did not see yet, but it's on the, the last Pusik in this 
set that we are looking at. Moshe Rabbeinu went out and he saw Shnei Anoshim Ivrim Nitzim. He saw two Jewish men quarreling. And he said to the evil one, Lama Sake Re'echa. Why literally will you strike your friend? Sake, Take is future tense. Doesn't say Lama Hikisa Re'echa. Why did you hit your friend? I should have said, Why will you strike your friend? So Rashi comments, even though he actually did not hit him, but Nikra Russia Baharamas Yad. He is called a Russia because of lifting up his hand. Merely the act of lifting up his hand to strike the other fellow, that is an act of Rishus. That is evil. Now, we could say that. Yes, lifting up your hand to strike your fellow Jew is a very terrible thing. You are indicating your desire to, to harm him. And therefore, even just by lifting up your hand to strike the other person, you are called a Russia. Could be. But I think there's a particular reason why Moshe Rabbeinu was so despoiled, why he was so uh, negatively, uh, emotionally charged by that, why he was so upset by that. And that is because he understood that the unity of Klai Yisrael, that is what is going to ultimately save them. And if you just lift up your hand to hit another Jew, even though you don't actually touch him, but you have already damaged the unity. Even if you put your hand down willingly, I'll let you go. I put down my hand. But the fact that you lifted it up in order to strike, you've already, you've already destroyed some of that necessary unity. And therefore, this could explain why Maishu Rabbeinu in particular was, was so upset when he saw this.